Today we look at recruiting names that are popping up all of a sudden for the Ducks in the class of 2023 and a discussion of the transfer portal with John Garcia of Sports Illustrated. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up-to-date with the Ducks every single weekday. And if you listen to the show every week and you've already liked and subscribed, I appreciate all of you. And you probably know who my next guest is by now, John Garcia, the director of recruiting, not director, director, as I just unofficially deemed him here by accident, uh, director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated. We bring him on to talk about all the latest news on the recruiting trail. John, welcome back to the show. Good to be back on with you, uh, my guy, Spencer. Look, it's there's never enough to talk about. We, we run out of time like every single show. So, you know, let, let's keep doing it. Maybe I should just schedule you more often. I know other shows, you know, want to have you on and and bring your tremendous insight there. But maybe I should just, you know, hop in there as soon as that email goes out and just snag you for like four segments a week. Anyway, I'll look into that later. Let's uh, let's hop onto the recruiting trail metaphorically here. And a couple of names have started to pop up and Oregon has become a finalist for a couple of guys who we haven't talked about yet here on the show, but are suddenly players that, that we're going to be watching for because their commitments could be coming soon. Uh, let's start with Roderick Robinson, the second three-star running back or four-star, depending on where you look. I don't know where you've got him rated there, but he comes from the same high school, Lincoln High School in the San Diego area as Jaleel Tucker and Jaleel Florence. Oregon's DB's commits are. So where do the Ducks stand with him? Because I saw they cracked, I believe it was his top six. Yeah, top six over the weekend for Roderick. Um, and it's kind of a, a decently random group, you know, not your typical group. A handful of Pac-12 schools, but then you've got Auburn and Tennessee in there representing SEC country. And I think that's where this recruitment feels a little atypical relative to most Pac-12 battles. He's not a kid who is is born and raised in San Diego with a family lineage dating back to the Golden State. In fact, he actually dates back Uh, to the South. You know, his parents are from the Birmingham area. He grew up in South Carolina. So it brings quite the interesting perspective in his recruitment. But the Pac-12 is still dominating, you know, his recruiting for the most part. Uh, Oregon right at the forefront of that discussion. You mentioned a couple of connections that Robinson has uh, to the campus or to the the football program in particular. And and that's so important. You know, that high school in general, Lincoln, has been good to Oregon uh, over the, the long haul, but certainly recently, as well uh, in the two you mentioned. And those connections are really invaluable, Spencer, in in recruiting because it offers a whole different perspective than what you get on a visit, right? When you go on the visit, you put on the jersey, you spend time with the coach, uh, you you maybe tour the campus, check out the facilities, all of that, which is great. and, And it certainly leaves an impression, but now you have resources at your level, at the peer level, uh, you can go to basically any day for a true questions that you have around the program. Hey, what are the workouts like? What is the nutrition like? How hard are they pushing you? Um, how, how much outside of your comfort zone is Eugene relative to San Diego, which is, you know, an interesting, um, you know, difference in scenery and, and just atmosphere in general. So all those questions now, Rod, can get answered on a relatively consistent basis. So that gives the Ducks 
one up uh, over some of these other schools. Uh, but we also know he's going to take official visits. And I think that's where his timeline becomes really interesting because he wants to commit in mid-August, right before the 2022 season kicks off. Uh, and there's really no true outline of all five of those visits. There's a top six, but five allotted official visits. So one of the schools, whether it's Arizona or Cal, uh, Tennessee, Auburn, Oregon. One of these schools is going to be left out. Uh, UCLA is the other one of an official visit. Uh, so that will kind of be the next step to me in tracking this thing because he'll naturally eliminate one school just by default because he can only take five official visits. So looking forward to that. Uh, and, and last I heard, he's still trying to set up all the trips. But I'd be surprised if the Ducks didn't get one of those official visits. And once you do that, it's it's kind of game on. Yeah, and back in high school, he was kind of seen as one of the the dynamic trio with, with Jalil Tucker and Jalil Florence. They were all highly coveted recruits. And I think it's really easy to to draw the picture in your mind of, well, if the first two guys both went there and Florence had committed to the Ducks, then Cristobal left, he decommitted, but then he ended up staying committed to the Ducks. And one reason, I, I think in theory, but I, I believe there are some reports about there out there about it as well, is that Jalil Tucker was advocating for him to, to come, right? Because they're not, they were, you know, not just at the same school, but they were super tight and they're, you know, now trying to trying to get Robinson up there with, with that part of recruiting. Cause Julia Florence has, you know, already been all over Twitter saying, uh, you know, come up to Eugene, come be a duck, come join the squad, you know, all, all that sort of stuff in, in your time covering recruiting, how much of, of a factor does, that sort of past relationship play when you have a, a player who's a former teammate lobbying for someone to come as well? It's just as, as raw and authentic a validator as anything else with one school than it can be, you know, it, it's something so tangible and so uh, consistently there for you as a resource uh, that it's really invaluable in the process. I think, you know, the first time I was really put on to peer recruiting in general was these, these verbal commitments that came from quarterbacks, right? And they would build the classes around them. Ty Thompson did this at Oregon during the COVID year. I mean, any good recruiting class has that quarterback centerpiece that is controlling the group chat and is really serving as kind of the extension of the coaching staff. COVID emphasized that because there were so many uh, restrictions in terms of visits and, and really information in general uh, besides what you could do digitally. So that was really when I was first put onto it on a consistent basis, the pandemic put it at an apex. But even since then, we're seeing that peer recruiting is really important on the trail. I just wrote a story on SI about a football recruit who was friends with a basketball player at North Carolina. And when the kid hit the portal, uh, the basketball player called him and said, hey, North Carolina is a great place. And, and he admitted, he said, look, I wasn't even looking at him before he called me. So it really does matter because it, it resonates on a different level. You, as a high school teammate or close friend in that case, you have shared experiences and an understanding of one another that college coaches really just can't grasp with all the restrictions in the evaluation process and the recruiting calendar itself because they're recruiting so many guys. So that those personal connections are, are really invaluable on the trail. And we've seen Oregon do this at several big time programs. Uh, so it wouldn't really be a shock uh, to see Robinson, you know, continue that that all of a sudden pipeline from from Lincoln up to Eugene. Malik Benson is another name that has suddenly popped up on Oregon's radar in a significant way, and we'll tell you why after I tell you about Built Bar. Summer is coming, and with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on your family vacations. Throw them in your bags. You know they're in my golf bag, Duck fans. 
put them in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so that you're fueled for all your summer adventures, whether you're jogging, running, hiking, exploring, spelunking. Maybe if you're into that, I don't know. Whatever it is, Built Bars can get you there. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Candy bars, yeah, let's just say that they're way worse for you. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15. Get 15% off your order for something that tastes as good or better than a candy bar. That is promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, so Malik Benson is not someone we've been following for a long time, but Oregon made his top five, and he's coming from the JUCO ranks. And, you know, when I think about recruiting, John, there are players who have come from the junior college level and have had good careers in the college football game, but I think they've had more success in the basketball space. That's just my personal opinion is I feel like they've translated more. You know, I don't know exactly why that is, but it's just kind of the way that I've seen it play out over the last several years. But Malik Benson, a guy who's coming from, from the JUCO ranks, and boy, he kind of has a chance to – to be the outlier in that sense. What what makes him such a big-time target that's drawing the attention of, of the Alabamas and Georgias of the world? I mean, he's just got gaudy downfield potential. Just a big play waiting to happen for Hutchinson Community College this past year. Uh, whether they threw it to him short, which they did very often, he, he would break tackles and outrun everyone else. But he had the ability to go over the top uh, on defenses as well. I think he averaged like almost 30 yards a catch uh, as the focal point of the offense, which is really just absurd in every way that, that you look at it. Uh, and he's really become the most coveted Juco receiver, maybe even Juco player overall in, in this class of 2023. Still relatively early, uh, but a kid like this is, is not going to stay off the board very long. And, and just checking before we got on here, Spencer, uh, he's already locking in official visits within that top five. So this thing's going to accelerate, in my opinion, for Malik Benson. And, and Oregon's going to get the first trip out of him uh, in terms of his official visit. So I do think that is going to be significant as the table-setting visit for the Ducks because, as, as we'll get into, the competition is very heavy for Benson. But uh, he's simply just an explosive player uh, who can, like I said, catch it short and break the long one or, or just beat you there over the top from the jump. I mean, this is the type of, of long and athletic, explosive wide receiver that really changes how you have to game plan against an offense, especially in this day and age. So uh, once those those numbers from 2021, that tape rolled out, um, everybody uh, was on this kid and, and he's become almost overnight, you know, this this junior college sensation. And like you said, you know, that's the rarity. You know, we usually see like a bounce back recruit in, in Juco blowing up. I think of this past draft, you know, a guy like Jermaine Johnson was at Georgia, then goes to junior college, or was at junior college, then Georgia, then transfers. You know, bounce backs like that, Cam Newton did it as well back in the day. Those are very popular in terms of um, hitting an apex in recruiting because they were already established at one point. Uh, this is not the case for Malik Benson, who is from Kansas, by the way. So you can kind of understand why he was maybe overlooked in recruiting, uh, but he is certainly not overlooked at this point. Uh, again, he's probably the most coveted junior college player, not just wide receiver that, that's out there to date. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you next is if a guy has these sorts of skills and the measurables that he does and can put on the sort of film that he clearly has to to draw the attention of, of Nick Saban and, and Kirby Smart and some of the other premier programs in college football. How does a player like that have, have no power five offers 
coming out of high school? Like, why why is he at a junior college? You know, he like I said, he's from Kansas, Lansing, Kansas, to be exact. I I don't know much of his backstory before he got to Hutchinson. Um, sometimes it's it's an academic situation where you know the kids' grades are so behind that he doesn't even get the the first level of, of the recruiting process. It's just kind of nipped in the bud before it even begins per se. Uh, and then other times just a geographical deal. I mean, there are great players everywhere, but there are only so many resources. You factor in all the transition that we just saw in college football, all these new coaching staffs trying to assemble at one point. Uh, and it makes the recruiting boards shuffle and change uh, over many times. And, and kids like this can get lost in the shuffle. I think the transfer portal has hurt junior college recruiting as directly as any one thing has hurt another in college football. So I think that could factor in as well uh, since since it started in 2018. There's, there's a lot of uh, reasons why a kid can be hidden, but uh, he's certainly not hidden anymore. Uh, and I think he's got the makings of, of quite the story because you don't have to watch a lot of the tape to understand why everybody wants him in their offense, regardless of scheme, regardless of depth chart and, and quarterback situation and all of that. You know, this is a, a truly – a coveted wideout for for a lot of reasons. It's still relatively early in his recruiting process because he's class of 2023. So you know, much like Roderick Robinson the second, you wouldn't expect a commitment for you know probably a, a couple months at the very least. But some guys decide to commit earlier. At this point in his recruiting process, is there one school or, or a couple schools that maybe appear to have at least the early advantage? I don't think so. I, I think this thing is really wide open, uh, which is which is quite rare in the process. Again, it, it does make more sense for a guy who wasn't on the radar uh, at a high national level uh, as a high schooler. So, you know, when you when you hit all of this attention uh, as a junior college recruit, you can kind of pause and say, well, let me let me truly take in all of this. And I think that's what Benson's going to do. He wants to take all five official visits, four of them are set up beginning with Oregon. I believe all of them are set besides Alabama. That will take him from May through the month of June, so maybe uh, into July before he settles and, and potentially starts to narrow this thing down towards a verbal commitment. And like you said, 2023 recruit, so he's got the entire offseason to really uh, take as many trips as he can uh, before he locks something in, and uh, he won't be expected to sign until December. So, you know, stranger things have happened on the recruiting trail. Maybe Alabama convinces him to take an official visit later in the process, maybe during the season, if he wants to extend it uh, to that degree. But typically, Spencer, when you set four official visits between May and June, you're, you're kind of picking up the pace with this thing. So if he takes that fifth and final one and sets it up down to Alabama, I do think we could get a decision thereafter uh, and before the, the season begins, much like uh, Robinson is planning to do as well. Robinson and Benson kind of popped up on, on the Ducks' radar, I think, as as of late. But one guy who we've been following for the last few weeks here on the show and continue to do so is Matteo Uyunglele, the five-star edge player, brother of DJ, the Clemson quarterback. So both uh, five-star recruits coming out of St. John Bosco High School in California, which I, I always see something like that and think, how good does it make you feel as a parent that you produce two, not not one, but two big time, highly coveted five star recruit? You know, it's like a, a Serena and Venus's parents. Like, how, how do you feel watching both of your daughters play in the Wimbledon? Fight? Like, I, I can't fathom what what exactly that would be like. But Uyungle is a, a, a big time prospect who 
you know, has the potential along with maybe Jaden Wayne. I'd be surprised if Oregon were able to get both of them just because so many schools are are coming after them. But either one ha- has the physical traits to be maybe not Kayvon Thibodeau, but a Kayvon Thibodeau type player. And I'll ask you about why or excuse me, where Oregon's at in his recruitment. But first, I'll tell you that this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You save time and money when using Rock Auto. Their prices are reliably low for every customer serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. I got to take a breath there, John. Whew, boy, got to catch my <laughs> ass. Anyhow, so Mateo Uyunglele is someone who, who we've been you know, tracking his recruitment for the last couple of weeks here on the show. Big time guy in the class of 2023. You know, as far as defensive players go for next year's class for Oregon, I think he has the potential to be one of the best that they bring in should they get him. So but where's his recruitment at and where do the Ducks stand? I think Mateo's just a little bit behind uh, these others that we've talked about today, Spencer, just in terms of his timeline. I think he's got, first of all, he's got as many options as any recruit in the country. And yeah. and also, as you mentioned, he's not a guy who's just now popping up on radar. He's been on radar since he was a high school freshman. So he's been developing relationships and perceptions around several different options, coast to coast, literally, uh, for three or four years now. So a bit of a longer process, but I do think we're starting to see him make a couple of steps forward. You know, the next thing for him will be uh, to narrow it down to five uh, and and begin to take those official visits. I don't believe any are set at this point, um, and there's no date uh, as to to when that top five is going to come out. But look, I'd be shocked if Oregon wasn't in that top five when it does drop. And that's a big deal because before the coaching change, I think Oregon was on the outside looking in. I think, you know, six months ago, we were looking at, you know, you know, Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, maybe an LSU and a USC. Uh, but since these coaching changes, I think Oregon has become that that secondary Pac-12 contender. And then, of course, USC changed coaching staffs as well. So I think uh, there's a bit of a level playing field between the two. Uh, he's visited each school uh, multiple times, I believe, uh, this year to date. So I think both of those Pac-12 contenders remain in the mix. So it's just a matter of, okay, what are the other three schools? What is that looking like? It does look like Clemson could be on the outside looking in at this point, read into potential drama with DJ and other things as much as you want. But for Mateo, I do think uh, Clemson is is going to be a little bit on the outside looking in. Uh, So that leaves uh, kind of the big three when it comes to recruiting, right? Uh, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Uh, So this will be a true national battle, in my opinion. Um, Mateo's visited all the schools already. He will continue to make visits to these programs, uh, and it's really wide open as far as as the pitch is concerned for all of these coaches. And they know that at this point. You know, they know this is a long haul battle. This is one that could and probably will leak into the season, maybe all the way to December and that early signing period in the middle of the month. Uh, so this is one of those battles that you want to certainly build buzz and momentum but you've got to know it's it's got to be sustainable uh, throughout the long haul of, of the recruitment. So any buzz you hear at this point is a little premature. But once he does narrow the list 
and start to lock in these visits, I think it's it's time to get serious with this Uyangalale recruitment. Uh, and as of now, again, it looks like he's not going to follow Big Brother to Clemson, which is pretty big news in general from a recruiting perspective. Uh, real quick before we get to our discussion on, on the transfer portal, all these guys have a set number of official visits, right? How many is that? And then they can take a, unofficial five. ones afterwards, right? And what's the difference between the two? Yeah, real quick. Official visit is, is, is up to five per recruit. Now, when coaching changes and different things occur, you can sometimes get another one. So, for instance, if you visited Oregon in November and then Mario Cristobal makes his move and Oregon changes head coaches, you can then take another official visit when Dan Lanning is the head coach. There are certain situations where the NCAA is a little bit more flexible with that. But for most recruits, five official visits, unlimited amount of unofficial visits. And the difference is, is really big. An official visit is 48 hours on campus on the school's dime. So the school's flying you out, putting you up in the hotel. You're getting great steaks every day if that's what you want. You're getting the, the whole uh, cake in your room, cookies in your hotel room, all the personalized you know, swag, all that fun stuff on campus, uh, and, and a lot more red carpet VIP type treatment. Many of these schools uh, really build it up into game weekends and apex it with oftentimes a dinner at the head coach's house personally, cooked by you know his wife or catered or whatever it is. So an official visit is a very big deal and a very intimate 48-hour experience as opposed to an unofficial visit where Sometimes you're just there for a couple of hours. You're checking out a game. You're checking out a junior day, maybe a barbecue event or something like that that are going to be very popular here over the next month uh, or so. Um, it's really informal and kind of quick. You still can get one-on-one -on -one time with Dan Lanning or, or whoever the coach is, but usually it's a much smaller amount of time. So naturally, official visits is what programs gun for. They're only allotted to take to host a certain amount per year as well. So it, it is kind of a validator for the prospect, too, to be invited uh, to set up an official visit. You're about a top 50 guy, if that is the case uh, with the program. So official visits are a very big deal uh, and very telling in, in how we track recruits. Let's close today with a discussion on the transfer portal. And I said this uh, you know, earlier this week on, on the show. And if you want to go back and listen, like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching right now. Appreciate all of you doing that and five-star reviews, all that good jazz. But Oregon this year has had nine players come into the transfer portal. They're looking at, at another in Jermaine Lowell from Arizona State, which is kind of amazing considering they've brought in three defensive line transfers this offseason alone with a couple – quality starters returning on the line and Brandon Dorless and Popo Almavai, but you've had over 10 players leave nine come in and those are, you know, big numbers. And in terms of the impact that those players had from a season ago, some, you know, were, were more impactful than, than others, right? DJ James was a starter, whereas, you know, Jalen Davies played just a handful of snaps here and there. In terms of the, the number of players entering and exiting the program, which when you factor in, uh, a couple walk-ons, I think is over 20, right? Going in, in either direction there this year for the Ducks. Do you think that's a number that, that we should expect to continue to see? Or do you think that that's just because you had the, and this is what I, I think personally as well, you had the coaching change. That's going to tend itself to more roster turnover. Coaches want to bring in some of their own guys and whatnot. And, you know, do you think that going forward each year, it'll be, you know, around 10 players exiting and joining the program via the transfer portal for the Ducks? 
I think it's probably a little bit lower than that. I think you hit it on the head, Spencer. I think the, the numbers balloon when you go through a coaching transition. Naturally, like you said, not only do coaches want to bring in their own guys, but you know players that are on that roster did not commit and sign with that coaching staff. So there's nothing really binding them to that group. Uh, now, sometimes you you meet with the staff and you feel good about it and you stick around and, and that's great. Uh, and, that, and that's the majority of, of players, but it certainly happens the other way as well, where you, you know, maybe give them a chance and, and you don't like the first impression or you don't even give them a chance. You say, well, that coach is leaving. I'm leaving too. And I think that happens a lot in recruiting as well. But, you know, I think that number is probably high for a normal year. But I think what's what's impressive about Oregon is that, you know, you lose 10 or 12 scholarship guys and you bring in another 10 or 12 from other schools that are, are looking like potential contributors. I think that's impressive because it's very hard to keep that number even. We, we heard a lot of reports earlier this spring about teams that were looking up at that 85 member uh, scholarship limit, you know, trying to fill spots and maybe oversigning in the portal to compensate. Uh, but for a transition staff to not deal with that, I think is, is a pretty big deal. And, and look, having an even number, regardless of situation, I think is, is pretty ideal uh, for any program from a stability and prestige standpoint. You know, there's a lot of schools, you know, Arizona State, Auburn, Maryland comes to mind where they had many more departures than, than portal additions. Uh, and it certainly looks a certain way optically, which as we know is important in college football and it carries over into recruiting as well. So I think being even or close to even it is a strong mark of, of sustainability for any coaching staff, uh, especially a, a first year staff. But uh, I think 20 is a high number for a normal year, but for a transition, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I just think in a standard year, you know, Oregon in the past couple seasons, and this was before the the one-time freebie rule, you know, uh, during Mario Cristobal's tenure, they had years where they brought in one transfer. And, mm -hmm. and I don't think that that's ever going to happen again now that this option exists, right? I mean, if you have the potential to bring somebody in who can fill a void or, you know, help, uh, help provide some depth at, at a position of need, I think you should definitely look to do that. And I don't think it'll ever be as low as one. I don't think it ever will be as high as 20 again, as long as Dan Lanning is, is the head coach for the Ducks. But I think, it, you know, each year it'll probably vary a little bit, I would guess, between, you know, how many are leaving versus how many are are coming to the program. But I feel like somewhere in the seven to, to 15 range is probably a little bit uh, more standard. And last thing that, that I want to ask you here with John Garcia, the director of recruiting for Sports Illustrated, is Oregon's the kind of program that doesn't just need to bring in guys via the portal to provide depth, right? I mean, I, I think that it's perfectly reasonable to say that as this staff attacks the transfer portal this year and in the coming years, Duck fans should expect to see players who come in and are starters who are contributing in a major way immediately. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, you know, th this is not a, a depth uh, situation for, for most programs. You know, you look at the top of college football and it's about making that impact. I mean, that, that's when you're bringing in uh, a transfer. Think of a Joe Burrow at LSU. Alabama's got five or six transfers coming in that are all probably going to start in 2022. That, that's really the goal. Uh, it's to create, in one sense, a competition, which we're seeing Oregon do at the quarterback position, certainly with, with Bo Nix coming in. Uh, but really, those are the kind of, of transfers you want to focus on, guys who are really going to either push an incumbent or – run away with the job, you know, on their own. Coaches will never say that publicly, at least. 
Uh, but that's what you want. That is the desire um, because there's a lot uh, of behind the scenes stuff going on with, with the transfer portal and recruiting. Um, you know, there's NIL deals that are being built and incentivized around, around some of these schools. And, 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 you know, it's a win-win for everybody. If the kid who's making good money is seeing the field. Uh, so naturally th those are who you're going to target in, in the transfer portal players who can come in and make a true impact uh, right away. Uh, Cause I think that's, that's going to be where it gets a little bit funky with NIL in particular is, you know, you, what if kid a signs a huge deal and two years later, he's still not on the field phone calls will be made one way or, or probably both yep. ways. Uh, so I do think that, um, you know, it, it behooves of everyone for, for the big schools to bring in players who are, are ready to go. Uh, and, and it goes uh, as a trickle down from there with the businesses surrounding the program, boosters, all that fun stuff. John, appreciate your insight as always. Thanks for coming back on the show. That is John Garcia of Sports Illustrated, the director of recruiting. We bring him on just about every week here on Locked on Ducks. Good to see you and talk to you as always, my man. Always a pleasure, Spencer. Thanks, everybody, for making this your first listen. Make Locked On Pack 12 where I am your host as well, your second listen or view if you're watching on YouTube to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.